Today in Flex in the City, we talk to Johnny Black, Head of Commercial and Strategy, Advisor Sector, Aberdeen, bringing the magic and sparkle of Disney to financial services. All that happening right now in Flex and the City. Hello, everybody. This is Rachel Trees for Flex and the City. I'm thrilled this afternoon to have Johnny Black with me. He's in Edinburgh and he is the Commercial and Strategy Director at Aberdeen. Pleasure to have you, Johnny. Ah, looking really forward to it. Looking forward to asking you some very pertinent questions about you and the industry. So love to hear a little bit about how you came to be doing the job you're doing. Where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your life and how you came to be doing what you do. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the starting part is a probably a bit dull in that I went to born in Edinburgh, school in Edinburgh, university in Edinburgh, although at um, Harriet Watt was which a actuarial specific kind of university right. degree went on to an actuarial grad program at what was then called Standard Life. And 10 years later, find myself at the same company, although we've had a few different names along the way now at Aberdeen, having kind of done the rounds in the actuarial world of counting dead people and working out what mortality rates should be and trying to predict the future. And now using those skills in a slightly different way to look at how we can um, better help clients and customers in managing their life savings. Yeah. So can you predict the future, Johnny? That's a, a game I gave up a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so as you know, Flex in the City is all about leadership and, and you're a, a, a very senior leader at Aberdeen. Who's the most inspiring leader that you've come across in, in your life thus far, either outside or inside financial services? So I've probably got a slightly odd answer to this and I'm going to go quite broad. And I've, I should clarify, never met them, but have read lots about them and just think what they did was fascinating in terms of being bold and courageous, which is um, Robert Iger, who was the CEO mm. of the Walt Disney Company from 2005 to 2020, but was in the kind of backgrounds of that company for a very long time. The reason being, inherited a company that everybody knew and loved, the, the brand Disney is just so mm. powerful across the globe, but it was struggling a bit. You know, when you look at it, it had run out of steam. The movies weren't doing very well anymore. Everything had got a bit stale and the financials were kind of in that space. And he just made some really bold moves that you look at it sometimes think, if you hadn't been in that seat or if you hadn't the people around you t- giving you the courageousness mm-hmm. to, to take that step, would the company be where it is? Whether it's buying Pixar or Marvel or Star Wars or going all in on theme park spend and really pushing creativity to the front of a company that had got quite corporate, mm-hmm. which when you're selling ultimately dreams, right? Which is what Disney's trying to do. Yeah. The, you kind of can't get too corporate because the, the person at the end of it doesn't really care. So I think just looking at somebody that was able to take those bold moves and bring people with them, both inside the company and outside the company, putting creativity at the heart and backing that up by data rather than letting that drive the story, just, you know, gave that business a real shot in the arm and kind of every day I sort of think what what's our version what what would we say, do how, how would you put creativity at the heart of the financial services industry so I think that's where you kind of have to step beyond product I think mm-hmm. we can think quite binary in financial services around you know we mm-hmm. offer whether it's a, a fund or a stock or an ISA or a pension or or whatever it may be in the customer's mind but ultimately 
what we are serving up is means to drive life goals. So how can we get, particularly in, in my in my world where we're looking more at the individual investor or the individual saver rather than a sort of institution, they've all got individual needs, goals, aspirations. And the creativity for me comes from how can we help them to get there? Because it's not just going to be, oh, just you know, invest in that fund. It's going to be, well, you know, there's a plan that needs to be developed. There's a way that we can help articulate that plan. There's a way that we can understand their needs because they don't, they're not going to come at it and talk in product language because why would they? That's what we're all trained to do. The kind of the piece of getting from A to B, I think the experience of that is really critical. And that's where we can, we can make a whole world of difference versus where we are. So what I hear you saying is you're saying about really touching their hearts and touching their emotions. Mm. Well, ultimately, for me, that's what life savings are. And I, I kind of make a point of deliberately using the phrase mm. life savings because that's what we're managing. And I think, you know, quite flippantly, we kind of talk about, oh, well, we don't save lives here. And that's true, right? We, we don't. Nobody's running around with surgery kit. Mm. But we do make a difference to lives. And I think we can lose sight of that sometimes in the bigger picture because if people aren't managing their life savings safely and with an eye on their goals and being mm. ready when they need it at the time they need it, then they can fall into trouble. And we need to remind ourselves in the industry that that's what we're on the hook for. We are, we're there to make a difference. Mm. So, so if you were to bottom line and you were to articulate the purpose of this industry, um, what would you say is the purpose of the industry? It's a good question. I think coming back, it all comes back to helping people fulfil their life goals. Yeah. Not ours, not what we want them to be, but helping people. We're a fulfilment vehicle, ultimately. Mm. Mm. Creating dreams. Mm. Yeah, fulfilling dreams. So what that's do you it. think? I mean, you know, we're the dream factory. Your dream factory. Wow. Fantastic. We've got we've got a new brand there, Johnny. So what skills <laughs> do you think are needed by financial services leaders now? Um, you know, we're 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 in 2022. Um we're, we've gone through COVID. The world has changed beyond all recognition and, and continues to do so. What skills do you think are needed by the leadership in the industry now? So the big thing for me is being able to get close to Mm. the person whose money it is, the person whose savings we are looking after and Mm. understanding them. It's not that big homogenous blob anymore. It's not five or six institutions that you can look after and that that will keep keep everything going because that's not how the industry's operating anymore. You've got governments that are not kind of not, giving enough to secure it because there's not enough spending. So you've then got to look after your own money or the way that pensions work. And, you know, you've now got a pot rather than an annuity and all that kind of stuff. People have more control over their own destiny at an individual level, at a mm-hmm. one-to-one level. So for me, the big thing that we need to drive is how can we, how can we match that with one-to-one support? But that can't just be one-to-one support by scaling the industry up because we already know that there's 20 million people in the country that are falling into a savings gap because they either should save and don't know how to, or they can't save, or they just don't know where to go and get help, or it's not affordable for them. So if we just try and throw more bodies at our existing processes, that doesn't solve that. Mm. Actually, I think the skill we need is to understand those those individuals and their own needs and try and map that through and be able to build those connections at a much more localised level than the kind of institutional side that we had before. 
Because even when you're dealing with institutions, they want to know what you're going to do for their underlying customers or, or policyholders or whoever it may be, because everybody's an individual. So that, that drive to understand, I think, is critical. And, and talking about individuals, is the industry doing doing enough to, to, to cater, to look after, you know, a new generation of individuals? I think this is the real tough one. And I, I think that's where it all comes back to what matters mm. and homogenous groupings we don't have anymore type things. So I think the industry has a journey to go on, particularly for the younger generation. Great stat that we talk about internally all the time is there's this huge inheritance transfer that's due to come in the next three to five years. I think you're talking trillions of money is going to transfer from one generation to the next through inheritance. And 50% of people that inherit money immediately sack or change the advisor that came with that inherited wealth. Not necessarily because it wouldn't be appropriate or that person doesn't know what they're doing, but they're just not relevant to the person that's inherited it Mm -hmm. because they've not built those connections. And as an industry, what we've got to do is make sure we can connect with that generation because, and you know, there's there's obviously commercial reasons why Mm. businesses want to do that, but actually more, more at an individual level, we need to help what's coming. That that's a big thing that's going to happen, and people need to know what to do with that because those life savings are critical for those individuals' future going forward. I mean, that's where the industry really has a, a focus to do is to understand all the different segments of our customer base, of the population, what their needs are, who has savings and knows what to do with them, who could save but doesn't, who should save but doesn't, yeah. who who can't save and needs help. And then you've got the layer of advice on top of that. So not everybody will feel that advice is the right answer, but for many it is. And how do we get access to that? Because there's not enough advisors in the country. So there's a whole world of questions that starts to open up when you get down down into that space. Absolutely. So we've talked about Disney. So I'm going to give you the power of being the fairy godmother in Cinderella. (laughs) Um, Excellent. And you can use this beautiful magic wand yep, to I can change see it the already. industry. What would you do? I would build a universal translator. Because mm. I think as, a, as an industry, we, we love jargon. We've always loved jargon. Mm-hmm. I think one, how do we get rid of that? And I think some, some of the kind of newer players are doing really great work in that space in terms of trying to talk like the customer talk like the consumer that that is kind of benefiting from our services but actually how do we translate for all the generations so that we can we have our common thing that we're trying to message but we can get it out there so that everyone can understand it because I think so much gets lost in translation in this industry whether it's you know what a product is who a product's suitable for what advice means I mean Mm. even the fact that advice you know capital A or lowercase a you, you might go and ask your, your mate down the street for some advice. You're not asking them for a regulated interview, but we call advice, you know, at the most basic level in our industry, we've got words that are used that mean different things to the consumer on the street. And being able to just break through all those barriers, I think, would, would be game-changing. So a universal translator so that we are able to communicate with generation X, generation X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever comes thereafter. Yeah. Fantastic. And how different, um, you know, are these generations? I mean, 
the, the best example, and I'll, I'll use one that's totally unrelated to finance and, and sort of look into my personal life, I guess. Which Go on is, then, tell us about your personal let's, life. Let's compare me and my father or yeah. aunts, uncles, whoever, um, on ordering takeaway, you know, something that I quite enjoy. His generation, and him in particular, I wouldn't speak for the whole generation, but him in particular, he will pick somewhere that's, you know, he can go into and he can deal with or he can phone. I will actively avoid those places. If I can't order my Friday night takeaway on Just Eat or Deliveroo or Uber Eats or whatever brand of food delivery mm-hmm. app you, you choose, I'm not doing it. I don't want to talk to somebody at the end of a Friday after a long working week. I want that food to just arrive. To be honest, if I could also click the button that says contactless delivery so that they just leave it on my doormat and walk away, <laughs> that's ideal. Because after a week of work, I just want to have my chicken nuggets. So the I guess that's that's the like, you know, put that into the context of financial services. What does that mean? That's the kind of polar opposites on a basic need. The need for I would like a takeaway on a Friday night. But the delivery mechanism. The, the way that I experience that and another person experiences that are totally different. Same outcome. We're mm-hmm. both sitting, eating a meal. It's exact same outcome. But the experience that got me to the outcome was totally different. And I think that's where the generations differ in what they are looking for from the experience. And so, Yeah. So, so you've got your translator. Is there anything else that you think is needed to, to, to help us create sustainable performance in the industry? Because that's ultimately what we're talking about. It's all about performance, but it's about it being sustainable um, over the long term. Yeah, I, I think we need to find our relevance. I think we need to find what what matters to the individual and, and actively get closer to the individual, understanding if there was a way that we could sort of, you know, have that 30-second conversation and know exactly what it is you're 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 trying to tell us, what your goals are, because at the minute, you know, our industry processes, we'll sit down and we'll have an interview with you and we'll prepare a suitability letter and a recommendation, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it unravels over the course of weeks, if not months type thing. Whereas where you want to get to is you, we're, we're kind of always on. We, we always are with our clients some way or the other. And whether that's with big data or open banking, open finance, open data, however that fulfillment mechanism works, but that we just we get that much richer insight into what clients and customers are asking for without them actually asking for it. Mm. So it's almost yeah. almost in some sense, it's a step, a step before the translator. So you don't even need the translator because we've already worked it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing again, you know, bringing, you know, excitement and sexiness and dreams again um, back mm. into, to, to what it's all about. So, so Johnny, outside of um, being an actuary and being a leader in <laughs> the industry, um, and eating chicken nuggets, what else um, motivates you outside of what? Uh, I would say I've got, more, more generally, I guess, I've got quite a big focus on diversity and inclusion. I think mm-hmm. within work, I'm on the, the global um, kind of inclusion committee, but equally outside, always trying to sort of reinforce the value of authenticity and, and mm-hmm. being yourself. I think don't underestimate the power of, not hiding mm-hmm. and I think that's that's really important and so the more we can do about that in out wherever of the workplace um that's one one key thing so I'll always be the champion of people that want to 
be themselves in whatever whatever kind of angle that means for them. Trying to avoid using labels because I don't don't think that's necessarily the answer in that no, sense. I think no. you know authenticity can mean whatever it wants to mean to whoever wants to think it. Um, and then the other the other thing is probably just having the ability to switch off. That really matters. Is and I would say. COVID in particular has probably brought that into shining light. I, you know, I've got an office upstairs in the house and the blurred lines of workplace and home life are much more blurry than they ever were before to the point where you've got to really, you've got to really put an effort in, a conscious effort in to make sure that that is balanced. So I do like to make sure that when I can switch off, I switch off properly. I could, mm. you know, go back to Disney on this one where I'd like to, got quite a passion for finding my way to theme parks um i've got mm. a few books so I'll, you know summer can't come quick enough i guess but oh, what's your favorite theme you park properly. what is your favorite theme Oof, park? my favorite theme park you know controversial not a disney one you know so after all that talk um, i would say islands of adventure in universal studios orlando oh, in florida i've yeah. been there i've been there. oh it's great and there's a new roller coaster just open. So when I get to go later in the year, that's something I'll run straight through. <laughs> so what is this about? Um, what is it about the theme parks that really touches your soul? I mean, we've we've talked about kind of dreams and mm. kind of that kind of emotional side of things. And I think that's that's why theme parks re- kind of resonate so strongly with me. It's not and it's not the amusement parks, it's not the kind of fairground at the beach or on the pier. It's those places where you cross a threshold. And you're somewhere else where you are experiencing something live and in the moment. And there's a there's a sort of memory that will never leave. If you know what I mean, you, you kind of carry it with you. So where Disney excels or where Universal excels is that experience from the moment you hit the turnstiles until the moment you cross back out of the turnstiles, you are somewhere else. You might be in central Florida, but you could find yourself in Jurassic Park or, or wherever you're totally gone. And you can just forget, you can forget all the, the troubles, the worries, everything. And it's like just that relief, that kind of weight off the shoulders. You suddenly feel weightless. I just think that's brilliant. The fact that the fact that our industry can have that impact on people is, for want of a better word, magnificent. Like it's just mm-hmm. brilliant. Johnny, I would like to invite you. So here's my coaching wish for you. Um, my coaching wish for you uh, and the invitation for you is to become the CEO of the Dream Factory for the financial industry. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Flex in the City. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you. Thank you so much. Excellent. That was great. You just listened to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.